All right. Here we go. Hello, everybody. This is your favorite Bronze Age comic book podcast. This is your co-host, Mike L. And as always, I'm joined by... Michael Dell of the LCS Hockey Radio Show. That's right. And this week, once again, I don't know what the heck is going on, but Mike Dell has chosen a DC comic book. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what, what's what's going on here, Mike? You're, this, uh, this is the talking. second. This is the second and final DC book I will ever select. <laughs> okay. I wanted <laughs> to get them out of the way. Oh yeah. Uh, but when I was a kid. I remember the Justice League run that I had, and then I remembered this, uh, the All-Star Squadron, number three, from 1981. And I had, like, the first four or five issues of All-Star Squadron back then. Okay. Really? I, all I remember, I haven't read these issues since uh, I was, like, six years old or whatever, five, six years old. Wow. Yeah, so I had no memory of the story itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just remember there's a lot of heroes and a lot of villains. Okay. And Solomon Grundy was involved. I yes. love Solomon Grundy. And there's like the Justice Society heroes of DC. And this was Earth 2. I, w- I was always an Earth 2 guy. Sure. So that's what I remember. And then I went back and I read the issue for this episode. Mm-hmm. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. All right. I mean, it's fine. It's written by Roy Thomas and Rich Buckler. And they right. also created the All-Star Squadron. So what, what do you know about the All-Star Squadron, Michael? First, let's get some background, because I'm sure some people have never heard of this book. So, I mean, we're going to skip talking about Earth, Earth 2, because we've already talked about that, right? <laughs> yes. A lot yeah. of Earth. It's basically an alternative version of Earth, our Earth, and there's other... The heroes are like old-school versions of Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. Right. Heroes from the 1940s, basically. Right. So, yeah. Specifically... To explain how these characters could exist in World War II when, obviously, you know, if you pick up a Batman comic today, Batman is not 100 years old, right? So that's why they created this. But, okay, so now, so I have to give a little tiny backstory. So the Justice Society was brought back um, in the 1960s in crossovers where every year the Justice League which is Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, etc. They would team up with the Justice Society from Earth 2, who consisted of, like we said, World War II versions of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, but also, you know, Dr. Fate, the Spectre, Black Canary, etc. And so that went on for about maybe... Well, let me ask you this, Michael. Yep. When, when, when you say they, they teamed up in crossovers, so this was like an, an annual event they did, kind of like, you know, Atlantis Attacks or whatever. Exactly. Every really? year, yeah, every year there'd be a two, usually a two-part crossover where they would go to Earth 2 or they would come to Earth 1 and then eventually there was Earth 3, right, with the uh, Crime Syndicate of America, yeah. Okay, and, so another question, another question. Sure. When you say it's like a crossover, do you mean like in the regular title of Superman there'd be one issue where he'd go there and then there'd be a, another one in Batman or there would just be like a special like two issue yeah. annual kind I of thing. I shouldn't say crossover, you're right. It's more like a um, annual event where usually it'd be two issues of Justice League would be a two-part story where they would okay. hang out with the Justice Society. <laughs> okay, I yeah. see. And then over time in the, I think it was the mid 70s they decided, well, why don't we just bring back the Justice Society and give them their own series? And so instead of calling it the Justice Society, they made it as confusing as possible, and they revived 
the, the, the series that they were appearing in in the 50s, which was called All-Star Comics, yes. right? So, you, as you know, there was Detective Comics, Action Comics, Sensation Comics, and there was also All-Star Comics, and that featured the Justice Society. So they picked up the numbering, I think it was number 58, and they just said, okay, well, now we're going to continue the adventures of the Justice Society in, like, 1977. So by this point, since these guys all started in World War II, you know, like we said, Superman had gray hair, Batman was old, you know, Wonder Woman had gray hair, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and so that went on for a couple of years. And then um, Roy Thomas had the idea. He, he thought, well, why don't we uh, go back and do stories about the Justice Society in World War II at, at their prime? But instead of calling the book Justice Society... We'll bring all of the Golden Age DC superheroes together in a big team, and we'll call it All-Star Squadron. So this is an example of a concept that Roy Thomas, by the way, invented called retconning. Where he, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, where they would actually go back and sort of retell old stories or tell in-between stories that would retroactively alter continuity. And that's what this is, All-Star Squadron. Yeah, retroactive continuity, retcon. Uh, and this was... Roy Thomas came to DC. This is '81. Uh, he, he, well, '79 or '80. He he went from Marvel to DC, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And Jerry Conway was one of the guys that brought him over. Okay. And I guess at Marvel, he did a World War II story called The Invaders. That's right. That's, that's right. Which was, I think, the same thing. That I thought. See, I thought Invaders was an old Fortis thing, but I think he created it. Yeah. Yeah. So he wanted to do a sort of a similar thing here. Mm -hmm. uh, about World War II, but bring in because he's he said he said his big question was if all these heroes were around during the 1940s, why didn't they prevent Pearl Harbor? Right. So this story that we will read today explains why Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and the Justice League or Justice Society weren't why they weren't doing anything to prevent Pearl Harbor. Right. This explains it. Right. So, that's something. <laughs> And uh, I, we should mention that it started as a special insert in Justice League 193 in August right. of 1981. And have you read that issue, Michael? I have. Yes, I read it before and I skim read it to prepare for this week. Yes, I did as well. <laughs> yeah. I went through okay. and I, I read it. But it's a pretty extensive preview they give you in that issue of, uh, you know, you think a preview of oh, three pages. No, it's pretty extensive. It's like yeah. another issue. They just right, jam exactly. it in there. Right. Uh, but a lot of the heroes get beat up and stuff, and we'll get into that later. Uh, and it was we mentioned earlier, it was created by Roy Thomas, uh, Rick Buck, Rich Buckler, and Jerry Ordway as well, was also listed as one of the creators of All-Star Squadron. Okay. And he's the anchor on this yes. issue. And he would later become the penciler, right? Yes, he would. In fact, I was kind of surprised. I thought he was one of the creators. Like, I thought he, I didn't realize it was yeah. Rich Buckler that was there from the beginning. I thought it was Jerry Ordway, but I was wrong. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was all three of them. And uh, the, the title ran for 67 issues in three right. annuals from 1981 to 1987. But then, Michael, they ran into trouble, as DC often does with continuity. Right. So explain what happened then. Do you know? So, yes. After the crisis on Infinite Earths, which we've touched on on our show. Sadly. Uh, <laughs> Earth 1, Earth 2, Earth 3, Earth 5, etc. All of them, they all got merged into one Earth. So because of that... Um, DC could not have two Supermans and two Batmans and two Wonder Womans. And so they just erased them from uh, World War II and just said, okay, those characters started like pretty much now in the 1980s. But 
we're going to leave the re- most of the rest of the characters alone. And so in the 1940s, you would have had, say, Crimson Avenger and the Sandman and Mr. Terrific and, and you know, <laughs> Amazing Man and Tarantula and all these characters. And they were like the Justice Society and the All-Star Squadron and whoever else. And um, that kind of screwed things up a little bit. And so one of the things they did was they canceled All-Star Squadron and started a new series to replace it called Young All-Stars. Do you know about this? I just learned about it by researching this, but I had no concept of the Young All-Stars until Yeah. So what they did was they said, okay, well, there was no Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, but we're going to create like doppelganger fill-ins to replace them and basically yeah. say that these guys were actually there all along. And so you've got Iron Monroe for Superman, Flying Fox for Batman. Oh, uh, well, I know two it? of them. Yeah. Uh, Dan and Dynamite. Right, right. Which I, is Batman and Robin. Right. And it looks exactly like the ambiguously gay duo. Right, that's right. right. I, you know what's funny? I think those guys are actually from the 40s. I think they just put them really? in. Really? Yeah, I think they're, yep. And then there was uh, there was a couple more I'm forgetting. Yeah, I but don't anyway, know. yeah, they look terrible. Yeah, they're not great. They're <laughs> not great. Oh yeah, and Fury, the Golden Age Fury. Yeah, and so that went for a couple years, and then they canceled that eventually too. Yeah, probably it. for the best. All right. Yeah. Although I got to say, one cool thing that came out of Young All Stars is: Have you ever heard of Axis America? I have not. Those are the Nazi counterparts to like the old, the classic DC characters. So instead uh-huh. of Superman, you have Ubermunch. Instead, <laughs> instead of uh, Batman, you have Deflighter Mouse. And they're all these Nazi, yeah, these Nazi <laughs> German versions of all the characters. It's really cool. Well, all right. Fair enough. Uh, so that brings us to this issue. Again, number three, 1981. Uh, the title is The Dooms of Dark December. The Dooms of Dark December. Uh, well, we should talk about it. There's a ton of characters. This is a lot like that Justice League issue we did, right? Where we, we got to go through because no one's going to know who the hell we're talking about unless we talk about some of these guys. Like right away, Michael, one of these characters is very prominent in this, this issue. I had no recollection of him at all. Okay, uh, I totally put him out of my memory in the past 38 years. <laughs> but his name is the Shining Knight. Yes, <laughs> he is a very love prominent. <laughs> you love the Shining. Oh, Knight, he's dude. awesome. Yeah, he's great. He is terrible. Why? I, wanted, I so wanted to get re- just tear this issue up when I was reading. This. <laughs> Why? I don't know. It's just awful. All right, but the Shining Knight is Justin Arthur, and his first yeah. appearance was in Adventure Comics 66, 1941, created by Henry Lynn Perkins and Craig Flessel. What can you tell us about those two guys, Michael? I know nothing. <laughs> uh, anyway, next. <laughs> but he was a he was a Knight of the Round Table. Of course he was. Uh, I guess his origin story is uh, he was back there in Camelot. And he wanted to be a knight of the round table. And here he, he stopped and he, he protected an old man. He was getting beaten up, getting mugged. <laughs> and here it turns out that old man was Merlin in disguise. <laughs> okay. So Merlin, the old wizard, he, he, uh, he gave him an enchanted sword that can cut through anything. An enchanted armor that makes him nigh invulnerable, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> to be specific, yes. <laughs> Uh, he also got a winged horse. Yes. N- named Winged Victory. Awesome. Yeah, well, I guess he, his horse was Victory, and then Merlin said, hey, I'll give him wings. So he said, hey, I'll call him a Winged Victory. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then he went and he joined the Knights of the Round Table. And then 
on one of his missions, he was going to go fight an ogre. Because you got to fight ogres. You got to keep them in their place. Right. <laughs> you, you can't let the ogres just want, you know, run roughshod over the country. Yeah. So when he was fighting this ogre, he fell in an icy crevice. Mm-hmm. And he got frozen. Like, uh, somewhat like Captain America, you could say. Right, right. And then he was thought out in modern day, 1940s. And there he is, the Shining oh, cool. Knight. So you like this guy? Uh, well, yes, I love this guy. <laughs> Specifically, I'll tell you why, okay? I think the big difference between the Justice Society and the Justice League is the Justice League are all pretty much, you know, science fiction characters, couple aliens, whatever. The Justice Society has this bizarre mix of like, <laughs> you know, Shining Knight is from King Arthur, and then you have one guy's a robot, and then you have like... um it's like they're they're so like their powers are are so weird like nowadays you just go oh well you know they either they're a mutant or they got something spilled on them and now they have powers (laughs) but back then it's like i have you know i'm blind but i have blackout bombs you know or i have superpowers (laughs) for one hour you know it's like they're (laughs) so weird like the way that they explain their powers like I don't know. It just it, it's just a bizarre mix of uh, I don't know, pathetic and kind of like <laughs> quaint. I guess I don't know. I just I just couldn't take it because I was like, what? Who the hell is this guy? And then Roy Thomas writes him like you know writing uh, talking like from Camelot and stuff, right, like all right. the vernacular, and it's very annoying. Uh, we should describe. He looks like he wears like gold chain mail, right? And, and he has a pointed helmet on his head. He looks very similar to that guy. Do you remember that video game? Uh, what was that? Dragon's Lair. Remember that game? I uh, not really. Maybe if I saw it. Yeah, it was like a, a cartoon, like video game kind of. Okay. And there was a there was a cartoon of it here in the United States as well. Uh, I'm but sure he, we got it too. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm sure those American listeners, and we have lots of them in the heartland yeah. of America, yeah. they know what I'm talking about. Uh, so that's the Shining Knight, and in this issue, he's uh, he's got a little sidekick with him, this lady named Danette Riley. Right. And that's all we know her as in this issue is Danette Riley. Do you know who she really is, Michael? I believe she's Firebrand 2, correct? That's correct. She right. turns into Firebrand. And if you remember, if you listen to our uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths episode, we were, I noticed that one superhero there, this lady, was wearing like a superhero costume on the bottom and then just like a pink blouse on top. Right. That's this lady, Firebrand. Exactly. Yep. This is her. And her deal is, uh, her first appearance was Justice League 193 in 1981, and she was created by Thomas and Buckler. So, so in, the, uh, in the preview. Yeah, that was her first appearance. Right, cool. How about that? But basically, she, she's like Firestar, right? She can just... Uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if she can, can create fire or control fire, or both. I don't know. I think she can shoot fire. I don't oh. know. Okay. <laughs> Who cares at this point, really? Who cares? Uh so at at this point though she's not firebrand yet. No. And then she would later join the All-Star Squadron much later and she would marry the Shining Knight. Really? Okay. Yeah. How about that? Pretty cool. Shining Knight getting it done even all these years later. Yeah. yeah. Next we have the the Atom, but this is not the Atom we discussed in the Justice League. <laughs> What's that guy's name? Ray Palmer? Or? Yeah, again, the new, the newer Adam it has a science fiction background. He can shrink yeah. because he's exposed to, exposed to white dwarf matter. This Adam, what can he do? He can box, I think? Yeah, he or? can box. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't understand why he's called the Adam, though. I think it's because he's just short. He's like five foot two. 
Oh, oh really? That's, yeah, that's why he's called the Adam. Isn't that ridiculous? Okay, because his real name here is Al Pratt. And his first appearance was All-American Comics 19, 1940, created by Ben Flinton and Bill O'Connor. They're very good. Uh, He was a 98-pound weakling who uh, one day bought dinner for a vagrant on the street. But that vagrant, Michael, turned out to be former boxing champ Joe Morgan. Really? And in gratitude, Joe Morgan took the Adam or Al Pratt under his wing, and he trained him for one year to become a crime fighter. And that's his history. That's it. He's a good boxer. There you That's go. I like his costume. Though. He's got this blue mask he pulls down over his face, so it's just his whole face is blue. And he's got like a cape. I think his <laughs> costume is brutal, honestly. Like, <laughs> I like the clear. blue mask. He's like got a blue mask, a blue cape, but he's also got bare legs. You have to point that out. <laughs> oh, that is true, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it looks like he shaves them. So what, what can yeah. you do? They do. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's part of the thing you got to do when you're a hero. <laughs> uh, but the Adam, yeah, I was confused by his name. But yeah, now that you mentioned that, I do seem to recall he's supposed to be really short. It's not, but they don't draw him as short in this issue at all. Well, maybe it's just the artist, but I think he's supposed to be shorter. You know, just like shorter than average. But I did not like Get, detect pick, at all. Pick up on that? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's didn't. depicted as like the same size as everybody else. But right. anyway, yeah. all right. Next, we got Doctor Midnight, and I should right. point out that Midnight is spelled M-I-D hyphen. N-I-T-E. <laughs> yeah. For some unknown reason. <laughs> but it's Dr. Midnight. And this is Charles McNighter. Uh-huh. <laughs> was All-American Comics 25, 1941. Created by Charles Rosenstein and Stan Ashmeyer. <clears throat> I want you to know about all these old creators, Michael. That's I don't know. Me. I've never heard of any of these guys. <laughs> anyway. I feel we should give them some, you know, credit, though, you know. They created these people. For sure, for sure. Uh, and his, his backstory, Michael, is he was a surgeon. He was a, he was a doctor. Okay. And some uh, people came to him and said, oh, I, well, I guess the cops. They said, hey, we got this witness in witness protection, but he, he's dying. We need you to perform, perform surgery on him so he can testify against this crime boss. And he's like, I'm, I'll do it. So he goes racing over to perform, perform surgery. And while he's operating, Michael... One of the criminals, one of the mob guys, throw, they throw a grenade into the operating room. And they, <laughs> they blow it up. Everyone in the room dies except for Charles McNighter. But sadly, he gets shards of glass into his eyes and he loses his eyesight. Okay. Yeah, so now he can no longer be a surgeon. It's a little like Doctor Strange when you think about it in that way. Yeah, a little he, bit. So now he becomes like a, a, a crime novelist, a fiction writer, and his, his trusted secretary, uh, he transcribes the novels to her, and, and he writes an anti-crime column for the newspaper and stuff. And uh, while he's doing this, Michael, he's, he realizes, uh, well, no, actually, he's sitting at home. This is, this is where it gets to be like Batman. He's sitting at home one night, and something comes crashing through the window. That's it's right. A, it's owl. a wood owl. It's right. a wood owl. Okay, okay. And his and to see what happened, he takes his bandages off, his eyes, and he realizes he can see dur- in nighttime now. He still can't right. see during the day, but his eyes have adapted, he can see at night. So he adopts this wood owl and he calls him Hootie. And <laughs> Okay. I'm not. I'm not joking. This is legit. Okay. <laughs> Quit laughing. This is serious. Okay. And he he adopts Hootie the wood owl as his pet. Okay. But doesn't the same thing happen to Bruce Wayne? Like a bat comes flying through the window? Absolutely, yeah. It's very yeah. similar. So uh, he d- he d- realizes he can see at night, and then he creates these goggles, 
infrared goggles that he lets them see during the day, I guess. And he creates blackout bombs. Right. He throws these bombs and they create like black smoke and they absorb all light. So it makes it darkness for everyone around. So that gives him the edge. Kind of like Daredevil. Look at this. He's, right. a, he's a concoction of all these characters. <laughs> he can see it when everyone, no one else can. So that's Captain Midnight. Would you like to describe his outfit for everybody? Well, the closest thing it resembles is Robin's costume, except uh, he's got the same type of, what do you call that? Like that, uh, like his, not, not a shirt, but it's like a, uh, you know what I mean? It's like, so what's that thing called that a woman wears to like hold in her, you know, waist? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Uh, like a, uh, a girdle? Kind of. It's kind of like a girdle, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, and he's got little crescent moons on his chest. And then a and green, one on his forehead, too. Right, right, right. And then, like, a green cape. And then, like, underneath the girdle is a black bodysuit with, like, then he's got blue goggles and then leather gloves and leather boots, it looks like, brown. Yeah, and a, and a black mask covering everything but his right. nose and mouth. Right. But, uh, yeah, Captain Midnight. Or, or no, Dr. Midnight. <laughs> I think Just Captain Midnight would have been better. Dr. Midnight, yeah. what do you uh what do you think about dr midnight are you a fan uh you know he's cool looking but i I always just thought his powers were so useless you know (laughs) (laughs) he can can fight in the dark right again yeah Uh, i I mean i I can forgive all of these golden age characters because obviously superheroes were invented like two weeks before these guys were so but it's still ridiculous when you think about it you know like when you've got superman you'd think you'd go somewhere between no powers and superman instead of just making everybody be able to like box and like you know see at night it's just so ridiculous you know <laughs> mundane yeah like a lot of these people they're just really fit that's the right, power. right exactly they're, they're athletes right so in the 1940s that was way above everybody else all right so uh the phantom lady is next the Phantom Lady. And I yeah. got to say, she has a pretty risque costume for the 1940s. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty, you know. All right, so uh, the Phantom Lady is Sandra Knight. Her first appearance was Justice League 107, 1973. Oh, I guess 1973, really? This was her first appearance? No, that can't be right. Yeah, I had to have written that She's wrong. She's originally from the 40s, but maybe she reappeared in Justice Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I get this info off of a DC fandom I look up the characters. Uh, okay. Sometimes they screw up. So, yeah, reading that, that has to be wrong. Because mm-hmm. they, they screw up another one, too. Uh, I forget who and I'm looking at. I think Plastic Man they screwed up, too. But anyway. All right. So, Phantom Lady. She was, the, uh, she was created by Arthur F. Petty. He's very good. And uh, she's the daughter of Senator Henry Knight. And I think she thwarts an assassination attempt on him one evening. And she decides to be a crime fighter after that. So... Mm-hmm. She's just really athletic. She studies martial arts, and she has a black light ray, which right. is very similar to the Cap- or Dr. Captain Midnight or whatever his name is. Right. <laughs> she, she shoots this ray at people, and they can't see, I guess. Yeah. Oh, and I'll also point out she, her actual first appearance is Police Comics number one. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, and that's from Quality Comics, not from DC. That's the same, uh, same thing with the Plastic Man, like I said, because that was his first appearance as well. Right, but on that DC fandom site, they screwed it up and they said he was later. So yeah, I guess they must have been like when they brought him back into continuity or something. But anyway, all right. So that's Phantom Lady in her costume. Mike, I'll describe this for the people. Well, 
it's quite revealing. Essentially, um, and, and I actually just looked her up. Apparently, she's a few different versions, but all of them have one thing in common, and that's that they accentuate the size and shape of her breasts, okay? <laughs> so they're all very revealing. Like, this is arguably the most revealing superheroine costume I've ever seen. Uh, the one... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like the one that the one here, it's basically it's a yellow bathing suit, right? Yeah. Like basically, it's just uh, it's not even like but a it's, full shirt. Yeah, it's cut like a V. It's kind of like Vampirella her right. outfit. It's it's like a V that covers the breasts and goes down to her belly. Yeah, it's very revealing, especially for the 1940s. And she has a cape, and she has like a mask, like uh, Robin, like one of them domino masks or whatever yeah, they right, call. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah it's. It's pretty something, yeah. This <laughs> phantom lady. Uh, I guess at some point, maybe. Uh, I think I read she can turn intangible at some point later in her career. Yeah, maybe they evolve her powers. I don't know. Make her more like an actual phantom lady. Right. Right. Um, all right. Next up, uh, and I should mention these characters we're discussing here. They're kind of like the core of All Star Squadron. Right. There's about seven characters who are like the core group, and then you know all the other Justice Society guys can come and go as they please. But yeah, uh, I, I think they got up to like thirty members because they eventually included every single Golden Age character. <laughs> yeah, it's seen quality. Yeah, so it, it's pretty extensive. So next up we have Hawkman, right? And, and this is uh, Earth Two Hawkman, uh, right, Michael? And his, his yeah. first appearance was Flash Comics number one, nineteen forty, created by Gardner Fox. And Dennis Neville, hey, you know Gardner Fox, we've heard of that. that yes, Neville. absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, his name here is Carter Hall, uh, but would you like to explain his backstory for everybody? Uh, from what I know, <laughs> he is an archaeologist, right? Uh, no, he was actually, oh, originally, he was an Egyptian prince. Oh, okay, sorry, but yeah. What, yeah. Okay, let me clarify. Yes, the, Carter Hall, Carter maybe. Hall is an okay. archaeologist, but yeah. he's the reincarnation of Prince Khufu, right? Yes, that's yes. right, yeah. So, yeah, um, and then... So, I guess the original Hawk, the spirit of the original Hawkman or whatever, however you want to say it, was this Egyptian prince, and he was murdered by somebody, and then he just kept reincarnating into different bodies throughout history, right? Yeah, I don't know. That idea might have been introduced later, but he was... I think this is his only reincarnation, at least in the original story, as far as I know. I could oh, be so I, about that. I think he... Did more. I don't know. Yeah, don't quote me on this, but I think he did more. So this Carter Hall fella, he was an archaeologist? I believe so. And I think I think then he ended up running a museum or something. Like he was like a, like sort of specializing in Egyptian weaponry and stuff like that. And so that's and why it, I'm sorry, didn't he invent some sort of anti gravity metal or something? Yes, or? called ninth metal. And then yeah, when they, yeah, NTH, right? That's how you spell it. Ninth metal. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, that's what's funny is in the golden age, it was ninth metal. And then in the silver age, when they recreated Hawkman and made him cater hall, it was nth metal. Oh, okay. Yeah. I love that. Uh, DC hates just keeping things the way they are. You know, I, know, you know I know. I know. And we should also point out his mask is slightly different from the silver age version. Instead of being just the top beak on his mask, it's got the top and the bottom beak, and it's really awkward looking, if you ask me. Yes. Yeah, so when he stares straight at the camera, it looks like he has a little bird mouth. Right, exactly. And, uh, of course, he's known for having that big mace, the ball, spike ball on the chain. Right, right. swings around, so that's pretty cool. All right, next we have Johnny Quick. Mm-hmm. And he made uh, the strawberry powder you could mix with milk. 
and you can, <laughs> yeah, oh no 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 that, that's that's nestle quick that's right. nestle. <laughs> this is johnny quick right and his real name is jonathan chambers his first appearance more fun comics 71 from 1941 created by mort weisinger hey we've mentioned mort weisinger before on the show absolutely yep wasn't he a longtime editor at DC? That's of Superman. Yeah, he's responsible for like the whole basically fifties and sixties Superman era. All right. So yeah, he created Johnny Quick, and his deal is he was a college student. Uh, this Jonathan Chambers, and his mentor or professor or somebody he knew discovered a mathematical equation that when you recited the equation, you accessed another dimension and you took speed energy out of that dimension and you could run real fast. I love it. <laughs> a superpower based on math. Mm-hmm. So this is. So uh, before this professor died or whatever, he gave uh, jo- uh, Jonathan Chambers the uh, equation and told him what to do. So now Jonathan Chambers can run around like a monkey real fast. He's not as fast as the Flash, no. <clears throat> but he is fast. And he can also kind of fly, right? Like he, the way he says it is, I guess he runs and jumps and his momentum can make him fly okay. or something. I don't know. <laughs> something he's like, like that. turning midair in, in some of these pages. So, <laughs> yeah. <I> mean, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but uh, he, he's, his outfit is like red and yellow, and he's got no, another one of them domino masks. Why are they called domino masks, by the way? I actually have no idea, but I've just always known that's what they're called. But yeah, I don't is know it why. just because they kind of look like a domino, a black domino with two white like, dots maybe, on it? Yeah, maybe. That could be it. All right. Um, um, so, uh, but he's red and yellow, and he runs real fast. Anything else you want to say about Johnny or not Johnny? Really, yeah. not really. Just that he, you know, he's again him and Firebrand and a couple others. Like you said, they're kind of like the core of the team. But those are the ones I'm most familiar with. Although I kind of like the idea that he's uh, fast, but not as fast as the Flash. Like right. it's like, then why are you even here? You know? Yeah, we'll, yeah, we yeah. You? <laughs> we'll just get the Flash. We don't uh, need you. Yeah. <laughs> Next time we need someone to do something not very quick, we'll get you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, or, okay. All right. Uh, next up, Liberty Bell. Mm. And uh, that's B-E-L-L-E. Mm. She's a lady. Liberty <laughs> Bell. Uh, her real name is Libby Lawrence. And her first appearance was Boy Commandos, number one, awesome. 1942. Created by Don Cameron and Clark Winter, or Chuck Winter. I'm sorry, Chuck Winter. And she was an American intercollegiate girls athletic tournament athlete. She won the <laughs> tournament, and as a reward, she received a bell-shaped medal made from a piece of the original Liberty Bell. Later, she competed in the gold. She won gold medals in swimming at the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. So again, she's just a really good athlete, and she becomes a superhero. But that Liberty Bell, Michael, do you know the secrets of that Liberty Bell medal she has? Uh, I. Isn't it that her, it activates her adrenaline? <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah. Apparently, she needs, no matter where she is in the country or in the world, she's, she has them ring the bell in Philadelphia, the old Liberty <laughs> Bell, and it vibrates. And she keeps it on her belt buckle, so I'm sure she gets a little perk out of it as well. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, it accelerates her. She, it gives her like an adrenaline rush. So, I don't know. Again, I guess it's a power. <laughs> again, yeah, thinking very small scale back in these days, right? Yeah. 
It's like, it's like, yeah, you know, I, I, it's like having like, oh, every time I want to go fight crime, I have a tea and it gives me a little jolt yeah. of caffeine and then I can fight crime. It's ridiculous. You know? So basically she keeps a vibrator in her underpants and it makes her happy. Right, that's, right. that's basically what we're talking about here. Liberty right. Mill. And, and she's a blonde lady, a uh, classic all American blonde lady. Uh, she wears like yellow pants, blue top. And the pants have, they're like, uh, there's things that stick out on the sides. Right. Um, <laughs> did we talk about these during moon night? I believe. Um, I, I forget what they're called. These kind of pants. Yeah, <laughs> and are, were they specifically from like uh, you know? Are they from like the 1700s or? No, they're they're British. Uh, they okay. were first invented for people that ride horses. That gives you more room in the thighs to ride horses. Uh-huh. Okay. And they have like an Indian name, mm. or something like or something like that. It's I don't, I can't remember. But anyway, uh, the archaeologists in Moon Knight were wearing them as well. Okay. But anyway. So that's Liberty Bell. And finally, uh, the big uh, last member of the core team is Plastic Man. Right. I got to tell you, I'm not a fan of Plastic Man. Well, I like Plastic Man in the, in the few stories I've read by like his creator. Um, what's his creator's name? Ah, guess what? I know it because I write this all down. He's created by Jack Cole. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, like comic artist Jack Cole, and I I like like when he's done by Jack Cole or like Kyle Baker or someone that treats him like a cartoon character. But when you stick him in a story like this, he just doesn't fit. You know? Yes, that's exactly what I thought when I was reading this because I totally forgot Plastic Man was here. Like, I think of All Star Squadron, I do not think of Plastic Man. I think of like Doctor Midnight, uh, Adam, those kind of Lip Bell, those kind of people. I do not think of Plastic Man. It just seemed like he was so out of place here. Right. Uh, his real name was Eel O'Brien, and his first appearance was Police Comics number one, 1941. Uh, did you laugh at the name Eel, Michael? That is a proud name. Eel. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just, yeah. again, yeah, a little bit ridiculous, but whatever. You don't hear many kids named Eel these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a bit outdated. But he was actually a petty crook. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, during a botched robbery, he was shot and he escaped. Uh, but he, I guess he was robbing a chemical plant or something and some chemicals got in the wound. And when he healed up, he went to a monastery or something and these guys helped him uh, heal up and they, they changed his view on life as well. So he became a good guy, but the chemicals interacted with his metabolism and he could now stretch like plastic. Right. So, <laughs> that's and good, it, I guess. It be clear, it's like when I was younger, I thought that his powers were exactly like, like for example, Elongated Man and F- Mr. Fantastic are mostly about stretching. But it seems yes. like Plastic Man can like change into like, you know, a boat or a chair yep. or anything, it seems like, eh? Yeah, like, there's, a, there's a scene in this book we will be discussing where he does something pretty extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into that later, I guess, but... Um. <laughs> Yeah, do, there was a cartoon of Plastic Man when I was a kid, I seem to recall. Yeah, absolutely. I remember. He was also in some episodes of the Super Friends. Oh, okay. But uh, just not a fan. I don't know. His costume's weird. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a one-piece bathing suit for a man. It's just strange. Yeah. And he's got those glasses with the white rims. Just... Do, you, do you remember our friend, uh, the curmudgeon? Yes. Corner, Plastic Man is his favorite character. <laughs> Absolutely. We yeah. got to get that guy on the show, Michael. I want well, to on he the still, show. He still owes me 25 bucks. So once <laughs> I get that back, okay? I will, 
I will pay his twenty-five dollars. Right. Get him on the show. Oh, no. All right. For sure. <laughs> all right. So those are all the big heroes we got to talk about. But uh, now we got about four villains we need to discuss. Uh, the, the main villain in this story is a guy named Per Degaton. Right. I think it's Degaton, isn't it? Like ton? Sure. Uh, yeah. That sounds whatever. I don't know. I'm just confused that his first name is Per. P-E-R. I know. Yeah, I know. It'd be like per mile, yeah, or per hour. <laughs> it's, it's such a weird name. Uh, his first appearance was All Star Comics 35, 1947. He was created by John Broom and Erwin Hansen. Okay. And I guess his deal was he was an assistant to the Time Trust, which was a group of scientists trying to develop a time ray that could travel back and forth in time. So he was obsessed with time travel. And basically, he would always steal their invention, go back in time, and. Hmm. Like, like I think his original adventure was he stole their invention, went back in time, and tried to take over the world. He went all the way back to, like, the days of Alexander the Great. Oh, okay. And he did something that he defeated. He, he, he brought with him, like, tanks and stuff. So he defeated Alexander the Great, and then that changed history, and it created all sorts of time. I don't know. It's a very convoluted thing. I don't understand. That's a kind I of a cool idea, though. I don't like time travel stories, though, because it just it's confusing. It's just... Well, confusing. yeah. Yeah, it is. You know... So uh, apparently he just, uh, then when he was born again or something, yeah, I don't know, and he, he started working for these time travel guys again, he stole their invention again and then beat the hell out of the guy. <laughs> and yeah, because the first time he shot the professor he stole the invention from, but he didn't kill him. And then that professor got the Justice League to go back in time and defeat him. So the second time he does it, he physically, with his bare hands, beats the professor to death. Okay, okay. <laughs> and he takes his invention and now that happens in 1947. So in this issue, we're in 1941. He just goes back in time six years. And his plan in this issue, Michael, is he wants to, he brainwashes a bunch of, bunch of Japanese uh, Zero pilots. Uh, and he wants them to attack San Francisco. Right. Because if he does that right after Pearl Harbor... Like Pearl Harbor happened the day before. Now he wants these Japanese fighter pilots to strafe and bomb San Francisco because he says that will convince FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, to launch a, a war with Japan before going into Europe. Right. And that will change history. Which is a very specific goal to have. Yes. Right? It's a very, very odd. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you think he would do something else besides just change the uh, sequential order of the war? Yeah, you're right, exactly. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I don't know. Uh-huh. But that's his mission here. Mm-hmm. So, in order to do that, he needs some uh, help. He needs to get some villains on his side. He needs a team of supervillains. Mm-hmm. So, he goes throughout history and he starts plucking these supervillains throughout time and stuff. And uh, a couple of them we don't even see in this issue, but like Sky Pirate and M- Mother Bee or King Bee or King Bee. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I didn't know who this person was until now, but yeah, King Bee. <laughs> yeah, and Sky and uh, another guy named the Monster, who's basically like Jekyll and Hyde, like Doctor mm-hmm. Jekyll, Mister Hyde. But in this issue, we see what? Uh, how would you say this? Watton? <laughs> Wayton? I, I think it's Woton, isn't it? Well, I thought it was W A T O N. Wayton. No, I think it's. I'll find out. I think it's W O because it's it's a uh, the Germanic version of Odin. Oh, okay, that would make a lot more sense. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. but basically, he's a uh, is he blue skinned or is he green skinned? I'm blue, uh, right? I'm trying to find him in the issue. Of course, I can't find him. Uh, oh, here he is. Yeah, he's blue skinned. 
Okay, and and he kind of looks like a classic presentation of a devil with like the uh, haircut, the wacky pointy haircut and uh, right. beard and mustache. But he's an he's a sorcerer. But actually, Michael originally he was a sorceress. Originally. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, his first appearance was More Fun Comics, 55, 1940, created by Gardner Fox and Howard Sherman. And he was actually a female character in prehistoric times who was r- beaten and raped. And she was uh, so like you know depressed after this. She said, what's the point of life? She says, why these terrible things happen to people? What's the point? And she put uh, some mystical guy. She found some mystical guy who trained her in the arts of sorcery. So she became a, a powerful sorceress and she started doing all kinds of stuff, but I guess she, she started changing her, uh, her soul. She started putting it into different bodies throughout history. And eventually she ended up in this guy. Uh, really? Huh? And so technically he's a fella and he's also a bit of a lady, Interesting. <laughs> but yeah. So I don't know. And, and did you confirm his his it's W O T O N? Uh oh, you know it's funny. I've been staring at his picture for the past five <laughs> minutes and I haven't even bothered to read. Jeez, uh, uh, where is it now? No, I'll, you know what? I'll look for it again. Just keep. Yeah, talking. we'll see it when we go through the book. We'll figure sure. it out. Next, we have Doctor Zodiac, All Star right. Comics 42, 1948, created by John Broom and Arthur Petty, and he's a scientific genius and an alchemist. He knows the secrets of alchemy. <laughs> and basically he's just uh he's like dr octopus without the arms um yeah no glasses either but he has a similar haircut but he's he's just like an older fella um he's pudgy. yeah and he he, he he has this terrible costume like a cape with all kind of like stars and moons on it and stuff mm-hmm. and uh he flies this this plane with no propellers so it's like a, <laughs> i love it it's like a glider, but it's a plane. It's kind of like the things you make in Cub Scouts here in the United States. Uh, does Canada have Cub Scouts, Michael? Absolutely, yes. Oh, are they called Cub Scouts? Uh, yeah. In fact, my nephew is a Cub Scout. Oh, see, I was a Cub Scout. Yeah. yeah. Or he's like, whatever they are, like he's age seven. So whatever you are at age seven. Is uh, that Scouts? Yeah, yeah they're okay. Cub Scouts. Yeah. Okay, he's a Scout then, yeah. Start off as a wolf, then a bear, and then a weeblow, mm. which is very weird. I don't know what that weeblow means, but um, <laughs> but you like you used to make boats and cars and stuff. Like this is the kind of thing you would make as a Cub Scout. It's just sure. like a, a, a body with two wings on it, and that's it. And, yeah, and there's uh, this, there's a there's a cool name for it, isn't it? Called like an alchem alchemical plane or alka something plane? <laughs> alka seltzer. Yeah, yeah, I something. I don't know. It's in something. there somewhere. We'll find it. Yeah, and then finally, Michael, we have Solomon Grundy. Right. Who's the most famous, probably. I love Solomon Grundy. Everyone does. Yeah. And, and again, it's not like I read a lot of DC when I was a kid, but he was in the cartoons once in a while on occasion. You know, he'd show up in those Legion of Doom cartoons. Right. And, uh, but I just love Solomon Grundy because he's just this big uh, white skin, like zombie, like all white, white hair and everything. And he's dressed in these uh, raggedy dark suit. And he's kind of dumb, but he's really strong. Right. So I love him. Me too. Don't I was say, don't forget he's mentioned in the song Superman song by the Crash. <laughs> yes, you brought that up before on this show. Yeah, yep. I had no idea. Now, do you know? Like, I that's all I knew about Solomon Grundy. I had no concept of his backstory, his origin, nothing. Do you know what it is? Uh, I only know that he was spontaneously generated in Slaughter Swamp. 
That's yeah, so it's a lot like Swamp Thing when you think kind of yeah yeah but he came out of nowhere it's not like he used to be a- oh no, wait no, no. A no 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 no, was- no. Let, let me tell you his back okay okay because it is tremendous okay <laughs> so uh this goes back i, I should mention he uh it was all american comics 61 1944 was his first appearance and he was created by alfred hester and paul reinman and his original his real name is cyrus gold right that was his real name and he was a wealthy merchant who in 1894 he was murdered and tossed into Slaughter Swamp. But the reason he got thrown in there, uh, he impregnated a prostitute. Okay? He got, he got a hooker pregnant. Mm. And she met with him at the swamp because uh, she was going to blackmail him. About, well, maybe she wasn't actually pregnant. She was just telling him she was pregnant. And okay. they were trying to get money out of him. And he refused. But little did he know, standing behind him was her pimp. And he had a shovel. And really? Really? And he cracked him over the head with a shovel, and that's what killed him. And then they threw him in the swamp. So all because he didn't go with the blackmail plan of a prostitute and a pimp, he was murdered, thrown into a swamp. Forty years later, he emerged as Solomon Grundy. Hmm. His body, uh, like, coalesced with the uh, swamp and the and all the debris and the plant life and the hmm. vegetation and the dirt and the wood, and and he became Solomon Grundy. So technically, he's kind of made of wood. Which is why he's immune to his arch enemy Green Lantern's power. Oh right, okay. Which is strange because he doesn't look wood like at all. Not at all. So he is basically Swamp Thing. So Swamp Thing just stole Solomon Grundy. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, and do you do you know like the name Solomon Grundy? The the reason he got the name is when he came out of the swamp. He, he, he came on like uh, some prospectors or uh, uh, some drifters or whatever. They had a little camp and they say, hey, what, what's your name? And he goes, I was born on a Monday. Mm. And he's like, oh, like that nursery rhyme. You're Solomon Grundy. And that's right. took the name. Like, do you, do you know the nursery rhyme? No, I don't. Do you? Well, here you go. I'll read it for you. Okay. <laughs> born on a Monday, christened on Tuesday, married on Wednesday, took ill on Thursday, grew worse on Friday, died on Saturday, Buried on Sunday, that was the end of Solomon Grundy. Really? That's the nursery rhyme. Interesting. So, but now here's my question. To make Grundy m- rhyme with yeah, Monday. No, it doesn't rhyme at all. No, but, but you know, you know, some people say, instead of saying Grundy. Monday, they say Monday. I've never heard that in my life. Oh, yeah. Like, I've definitely heard like older people, like my boss still says that. Monday. Oh, all right. Monday, yeah. Might be just an old and Grundy. Thing. Yeah. Yes. Maybe we should just call him Solomon Grundy. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. But I love Solomon Grundy. Me too. Yeah. He's great. Ah, so great. So so great. And he was originally a Green Lantern villain, who then just started fighting everybody. Right. So there you go. That's everybody. Okay. All right. So if you're scoring at home, and hopefully you are, those are all the key characters in this book that we will be discussing. So here we go, Michael. All-Star Squadron number three, 1981. Let, let's look at the cover, because uh, I really like the cover. Sure. Um, <laughs> okay, you want me to read it? Okay. Yeah, well, we'll talk about it. Okay, Go so ahead. at the top, we've got some... Okay, first of all, we got the logo, the All-Star Squadron. Then above that, the Sinister... Sol- oh, there you go. Should have read that first. The Sinister <laughs> Solomon Grundy battles the All-Star Squadron. I got to say, I love this logo. Like yeah. all over top the star and it's all like 3D letters. Like it's pure 1980s lettering, right? Like I love and, it. And, this squ- and the uh, A in squadron has a star in it for the right. uh, space, yeah. 
Yeah, so cool. And then at the, on the left, it says the greatest heroes of all time. And basically, Solomon Grundy is fighting the members of the All-Star Squadron. And then at the bottom, we've got Perdegaton. And he's like, destroy the All-Stars monster and make Perdegaton master of the world. And, and we should uh, mention this Perdegaton guy. We didn't describe what he looks like, but he's basically just a red-headed white guy. Right. And, uh, he's got he a black wore, suit. Yeah, like a black suit with red gloves and a big D on it. Right, um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, this cover's great because Solomon Grundy's right in the middle and he's punching the atom, knocking him silly. And then on the left, we have a uh, robot man. Oh, did we didn't talk about robot man? No, we didn't. He's one of my favorites. All right, hold on. So we'll, we'll talk about robot man in a second. So then we got the plastic man wrapping his armor on him. We got Liberty Bell hanging off his other arm and uh, Cat, or Dr. Midnight and Hawkman on the right. It's just a great cover, and it's right. drawn drawn by our buddy uh, Rick Rich Buckler, and it's inked by uh, Dick Giordano, who is tremendous. I love Dick Giordano. Yeah, um, yeah. I got to go back and look at my notes for Robot Man. I know I looked them up. How could I well, miss Robot Man? Yeah, his real name is Robert Crane, mm-hmm. and his first appearance was Star Spangled Comic Seven, nineteen forty two, created by Jerry Siegel and Leo Nowak. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Huh. And basically, he was a scientist whose brain is transplanted into a robot body. Uh, Robert Crane and his uh, assistant, I can't remember his name at the moment, they created this, uh, they described it as a, a mobile iron lung. Basically, it's okay. just a robot body that they were going to one day implant a brain into. And while they were looking for a suitable brain, uh, some criminals broke into their laboratory and tried to steal it. <laughs> but, uh, and they shot uh, crane and they were trying to steal it but it was too heavy for them to move and they didn't know how to operate it so they just left <laughs> so with with crane about to die his assistant said hey we got to do this so he cut he took robert brain's robert crane's brain and put <laughs> it into the body of the uh ribbit and so now we got ribbit man i yeah. love him he's and i should also point out there is technically a newer robot man in the Doom Patrol, but this is the Golden Age robot man. Yeah, I, I like this ribbit man because uh, he's a cool look. He's just he's just an all metal body ribbit, but he's got like rivets around his skull and stuff. And, right, oh, he you love cool. him. Yeah. Yes, and he doesn't move like a uh, an iron ribbit. He's very agile. Right, he's, he can run and jump, and he can run really fast. Even you know, so mm-hmm. he's a ribbit man. So all right, now Mike, yeah, we can get to the book. So, yeah, like you said earlier, so we've got Perdegaton, and he's got this plan to use um, hypnotized Japanese pilots to, to fly Japanese Zeros over San Francisco to terrorize San Francisco, right? Yep. And um, so, oh, you know... It, well, I guess we should mention, Michael, uh, we yeah. forgot this is issue three. Yes. And they premiered in uh, Justice League 193, and in the first two issues... Basically, what's happened to this point is that the Justice Society have all been knocked out. Right. That 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 magician, that evil sorcerer guy, Wotan or Watan Soup or whatever his name is. Wotan, yeah. He put them all under like uh, some mystical spell, so they're all trapped on some volcanic island that right. uh, this Perdegaton is rigged to explode. So that's why no one was able to stop Pearl Harbor because they were all knocked out. Right. And per- but. But there was two that were not knocked out, which is Hawkman and who is it, the Atom? Yes, I think that's right. Right. And so they have gone and recruited these other heroes. 
So when yeah. the story opens, it's Hawkman, Robot Man, and Johnny Quick who are attacking Per Degaton's uh, headquarters, which is a floating volcano, right? Uh, no, it's like a floating battleship, I think. Okay, or, okay. Or no, it's a so Yeah, I'm so confused. Wait, where <laughs> are they? They're, they're a, aren't they in a submarine? Or... All right, well, see, wait a minute. Let me see here. Uh, I'm, just, I'm so confused. Yeah, but, but there is a volcano in there. Oh, the volcano is where the Justice Society yeah. is. Yeah, he's going to okay. blow up the volcanic island. The volcanic right, island. right, right, which we'll get to. to. So yeah. he's not there. Right. But where he's, is he at the moment? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Question. Um, I know a, great, a large portion of the story takes place in a submarine, but I don't know. I think he must be in the submarine, right? I guess, but it looks like they're flying towards him on this monitor. So I guess he must just be watching them flying towards the sub, I guess. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. All right. Anyway. I don't, maybe we'll figure it out as we go along. Yeah, okay, we'll so, I only so read it two days ago. What do you yeah, expect? Exactly, me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I read it last night. I don't remember. <laughs> um, so anyway. So yeah. So Per Degaton is narrating the fact that these heroes are flying towards him. And... Uh, He's basically talking about how he's gonna, you know, defeat them, and um, and so now, so yeah, so now we also see Doctor Midnight, Plastic Man, Adam, and Liberty Bell, and Phantom Lady, and he's like, okay, let me, do, I'm gonna have to actually reread this. It's so, oh yeah, so he's like, still, I saw several other such mystery men dropped into the city itself. My long range viewer will soon find out if blast them. There they are, patrolling the black and black city. Okay, so yeah, this is what's happened: is that they're in San Francisco. That's what it is. And the, the heroes that we mentioned on the first page are coming towards him, right? Yes. Uh, that's what I think is going on. And, so anyway. And that, that sorcerer guy's name is Wotan. O-T-A-N. Right. I inverted right. the A and the O. Okay, no <laughs> Wotan. Problem. Wotan is a much better name than Wayton. Yes, yes. So there you go. All right. So yeah, and here's where he specifies. He's like, when he's talking about the Japanese zeros, he's like, after the havoc they'll soon unleash, no American president will be able to pursue a beat Germany first policy. <laughs> yes, uh, what? Okay. Yeah, like that's the big thing, to beat Germany first. No, you can't do that. So I, they could have, I think Thomas could have come up with something a little better than that, maybe. Yeah. I I, again, I mean, I'll get, I'll get, I'm working on my theory of, of Thomas, and I think he's just so obsessed with the minutia of history. <laughs> then he just doesn't I don't know he doesn't quite yeah. know how to write a good story he just knows how to use trivia in a way you know what I mean <laughs> I don't know he's like I want to go back in time to make sure FDR doesn't have toast on the morning of Pearl Harbor right and that, exactly and that will mean that the whole history will be different right exactly better exactly. than that I don't know yeah. <laughs> right um so oh yeah okay, so anyway so he's talking about how he's traveled back in time and he's amassed all this technology. And he's like, technology such as this very sub-oceanic carrier, which yeah. I used to activate go. a volcanic isle in the Pacific. Yeah, so, so he is in that submarine thing. All right. right. Um, and then he's talking about how the Justice Society are all knocked out. And I have to bring up, this is my pet, my Roy Thomas pet peeve. <laughs> it's how he'll, he'll have someone just... You know, speaking casually, but he'll always have them specify trivial details just because <laughs> he's Roy Thomas. So, for well, example, huh? There's another reason why he's, he's a bad writer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's like, you know, he's like nine JSAers, including their mightiest members, lie there. 
Well, nor must I forget non-members Wonder Woman and Robin. <laughs> you couldn't just say the Justice Society had to. Oh, well, these guys are not on the official roster. I got to point that out. You know, it's yes. really annoying, but whatever. Yeah, it's not good. And then, so then he, uh, it's funny because then they show his control uh, console <laughs> and he's got a little button and it says press to activate next to it. And it says <laughs> volcanic isle detonator and he presses it. It's awesome. And this is exactly press. what like the Adam like, West Batman TV show was making fun of, but this is serious. Can you imagine, like, what if that press to activate label wasn't there? He would just sit there staring at the button. What do I yeah. do? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Should I lick it? What do I do? Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Which uh, to activate. And this is also terrible. He's talking about how he's like, you know, he's like, my aerial attack carried out by hypnotized Japanese pilots will soon be a matter of history, making December 7th, 1941, doubly a day of infamy. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> doubly. Uh, is doubly a word? I sure. Why not? Uh, so, but then he's also monitoring throughout the sub. I guess he has cameras. So he's seeing that Shining Knight, which again, that is just a terrible name, Shining Knight. Yeah, it's not a great name. Uh, and his uh, what's that lady uh, Firebrand, who's not Dang Firebrand me. yet? Yeah, they're uh, they're confronting Solomon Grundy, Wotan, and Doctor Zodiac. Yeah. So we get a little fight scene here. Right, a little fight scene. Not really much of one. But, uh, yeah, Wotan shoots some energy beams there at uh, some magic Eldritch beams. It don't doesn't Doctor Strange shoot Eldritch beams as well? Or Eldritch you know, I, yeah, something like that. Not exactly, but I, there is some similarities there. And he also he also talks like by Belial and Beelzebub. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like some like you know his mystic sword drains off my energy like unto a succubus of steel. It's kind of like the way. <laughs> Doctor Strange would talk, right? And then, and then Danny's like, like a lightning rod, you mean creep, yeah. right? So, <laughs> and then, and then of course, it's funny because then Shining Knight is like, bandy nut words with such blackguards, Danette Riley. I'll hold yeah. them back. I don't know. It's just funny. Yeah, yes, the user full name. Yeah, and, yeah. And, I just don't. Roy Thomas is going overboard here with this uh, dialogue. I, it's a comic book, supposed to be fun, whatever. But, yeah. You know. But yeah, so so anyway, so they end up taking off. Oh yeah, and so Shining Knight has a plan. He's like, "Get behind me, Danette. Why, me? Oh, wait, Masim's. <laughs> what it Masim's? This strange vessel floats quite near the water surface. How close? Soon shall we? Sh we soon shall see. I should be saying that with a British, an English accent, but I won't. Okay. Um, and so basically, so they cut, and then they. Um, yeah. He, they, well, he cuts. He puts a sword right through the hull of the ship. Right, and so now the water starts leaking yeah. in, yeah. and uh, and then they're able to. Now this is where it gets weird. So this is where. So now they escape through the surface, and then, so obviously his plan was that they'd be close enough to the surface so they could just swim up. But remember, this is a guy from King Arthur's Round Table, and this is what his thought bubble is: zounds the pressure of the water overhead. It makes my very ears <laughs> ring. Do you think a, a knight from King Arthur's Round Table would know about pressure? Differences well, in water? I don't know. What I don't understand is he cuts the hull of the ship to let water in. Yes. So the water is rushing in, yet somehow it also propels them out. Yeah, that wouldn't quite work, would it? Yeah, you think the water would just knock them back, but right. it propels them out. Yeah. I, I think he was thinking of it as like an airplane when you cut a hole in an airplane that, that sucks you out. Right. Well, yeah, you get pushed up with the air pressure. Yeah, it's... 
But there's only one hole here, and water is rushing in, so they're not going to be good to no. get out. But anyway, um, not at all. Can you do? But Solomon Grundy's very upset that the water's coming in, and he's uh, flipping out. And uh, Wotan yells at him. To, he tells him to stop whining. Right, right. And then Wotan seals the ship with his magic. Right. Yeah. 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 And then, uh, so then they continue to swim up, and then they get to the surface. And, you know, they're okay. And then they look up, and, of course, they're rescued by, what's his name? Winged Victory. Winged my, Victory is Magic my, Horse. My right? flying steed. I love it. Anyway. <laughs> it's a cool idea. I don't know. I, so. I just hated that they're in this comic book. Like, why are you here? Like, that's, I don't want that, a knight from the round table in a superhero comic book. Get the hell out of here. That's why I like them, but that's okay. <laughs> So then, oh, and here we go. Now, so then they fly away, and now we see the plane I was talking about. And yeah. do they, do they, oh, here we go. Slowly, Zodiac, do not overtake them yet with your alchemically, alchemically powered plane. That's what it's yeah. called. Yeah, and it looks like, it just looks like a toy plane. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's got an orange body, blue wings, and the body is decorated with suns and stars and moons. And right. it's, it's absurd. Yeah. yeah. So then we cut back to the submarine. And uh, we get Solomon Grundy and Per Degaton kind of arguing here, blah, blah, blah. And they're talking about uh, Wotan or whatever his name is. And uh, and then, okay, so well, then we... Well, well Grundy is mad uh, yeah. because he says he wants to kill Green Lantern. And, you know, you're not letting me kill Green Lantern. And right. he's like, I've about had enough of you. And then uh, that uh, Degaton guy goes, are you threatening me, Grundy? Right. I, I'm stronger than you, stronger than anybody. And Degaton says, true, uh, but you know that if you allow any harm to come to me, you'll be automatically returned to that same instant, to the time and place where I found you. And then he's thinking to himself, where I found you. And then he goes into a big exposition right, for right. about two pages where he tells you the backstory of how he took all these villains from their times and places. And Solomon Grundy was actually buried underground by the Green Lantern. He put him in like right. a, a green energy to like tomb underground and he was stuck. Mm-hmm. But uh, Degaton just popped them out of there and literally popped them. There's a pop noise. Pop. Right, and, right, right. And he, <laughs> and he took them to 1941. And, uh, yeah, so that's where they're at. But wait, you, you, but you actually skipped. These are actually even funnier is where he found Professor Zodiac in the middle of fighting Dr. Midnight. He was flying away with, in his plane. Then he just popped him out of, yeah. you know, that time period. And, 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 he, and he made it look like the plane exploded to cover up the fact. That right, right. And then, but this is the best one. And then he's like, sky pirating King B. I forgot the real names. I yeah. found by luck sharing a common cell. Wait a minute. If you don't know the real names, how did you find their cell? And then he's like, I found by luck sharing a common cell. Not that they were on speaking terms at the time. Could, like, my but God. Why do you even put that in there about the real names? You That's know, like what I mean. Like, it's like he just, he, he chooses all the wrong things to put on the page, you know? He could have made it so much simpler and better. Like, like Roy Thomas is a very creative fellow. And, you know, he comes up with these ideas and, you know, whether they're good or not, they're ideas. And I think he, he's okay in like big picture terms of like looking sure. at stories and everything. But in the, in the minor details of dialogue and character, he's terrible. Just, yeah. Oh, just yeah. <laughs> I know. That's what's crazy is that he's basically Stanley's successor, right? Like, He's kind of like the main guy that took over everything when, as Stanley kind of phased himself out of writing. And I don't, I mean, other than imitating Stanley's surface level 
style of writing. I don't know what Stanley saw in him. No offense, but yeah, it's it's not. Well, I, I guess he is creative. You know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You're right. Generates a lot of ideas. Yeah, right? like a lot of the characters we've talked about on the show, he did create. So yeah, I'll give you that. He is very creative. Yeah. It would it'd be it'd be better maybe if he was the idea man and then you had someone actually handle the writing. Right. And even the plotting. Like, if you just look at this page, you could see that another writer could just come up with better dialogue and narration over top of it, right? It's just that he's yeah. just not good at dialogue, yeah. Yeah. Oh, anyway. Okay, so, yeah. So, then we... So Solomon Grundy. Grundy, yeah. So, he pops <laughs> out of, you know, into 1942 or whatever year this is. 41. Now... Yeah, 41. So, now we <laughs> cut over to... Some of the other all stars who are <laughs> who are riding a boat that's actually plastic, man. So, yes, I mean technically they're sitting on his ass. I, or his I guess. Ass, I guess it's yeah. kind of gross. Like, and you you look at like the fact that that's his neck. Like, does his neck have hair on it? Like, is it? You know what I mean? Like, it, like it's just kind of gross to think about the details of what they're riding on. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, he, he's like a big flying ship. They're flying in the air. Um, That's right, yeah, it's flying. It's not even floating. And Degaton and uh, or whatever his name is, and uh, Solomon Grundy, they see them coming, so they're they're preparing. And and the Adam says, "Hey, look, I see some ship underwater. That must be them." So, what does Plastic Man do now, Michael? Well, to my eyes, he becomes a giant <laughs> dildo. Okay, that's exactly right. right. Giant sex toy. <laughs> um, but actually, he turns into like a a drill, yeah. which again is kind of impossible because. Assuming you he can't become moving parts, he's basically just a big rubber dildo. So I don't know how he manages to to like drill into this submarine that's made of metal. But yeah, he does and, it. And he he's encasing all uh, his heroes inside of himself. So he's like right. he's like a tube, and they're inside, and he's they're inside him at this moment. Yeah, technically. Yeah, and then he he drills his way into the right through the iron hull of the ship. And they pop up inside, but it doesn't seem like any water gets in really. Like, nope. shouldn't the boat be flooding? Yeah, uh, there's a little puddle below. Yeah. It, yeah, that's about it. Um, so then they have a big fight with uh, Solomon Grundy and, and Degaton and all those guys. What's his name? Per Degaton? Is that what it per is? Per Degaton, yeah. yeah. And um, then, of course, when they pop in, the Adam says, We're the Justice Society or the All Star Squadron. Take your pick. Bad. <laughs> Bad. Yeah. So and, uh, Captain Midnight, Captain Midnight, Doctor Midnight. <laughs> really, let's just make him Captain Midnight. That's a okay, better name. Sure. Uh, but he punches Solomon Grundy because he hits him with his blackout bomb, so Grundy can't see him. And then he punches him, but he almost breaks his hand punching Grundy. Right. Grundy's so strong. But it's yeah. also, but before that, the Adam punches out Perdigaton. He's like, "Robot man, Mister, I just met a guy with that name today, and whoever you are, <laughs> you're not in his league." And I also got to point out. That in the previous issue, when they, uh, I don't remember what scene it was, but they were like, oh, what are these things? Is, is it what that check writer calls them? Robots? <laughs> and because, like, the word robot is from a, a check play, I think. But again, oh, it's okay. so terribly dropped in there. Yeah, inorganically <laughs> dropped in there. But anyway. So then, so yeah, so now, now they've got hypnotized um, just other guys, right? Yeah, just like his henchmen, Degaton's henchmen. Yeah, so they all come and they've got guns, and uh, and then they start fight. Right, fight. Phantom Lady uses her black black light ray, 
and then um, Adam's punching them and blah, blah, blah. And, and oh, and, and Phantom Lady points out that she knows jujitsu, of course. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, it's more fisticuffs. <laughs> and then basically, and then the Jap, okay, so then it cuts to the next page, and now we're back to these Japanese zeros. And then, you know, the narration's like, at this very moment, more than a dozen remaining zeros are swooping low over the shoreline towards the sleepy town of Monterey, south of San Francisco, and preparing, and preparing to give that California community a most rude awakening. But luckily, Hawkman and Johnny Quick and Robot Man are there to save the day, right? Yep. But Hawkman, he, uh, he confronts these airplanes, and he says, normally, you know, I, I would try to find a way to take it easy on them. Right. But uh, that was before Pearl Harbor. Right. Besides, yeah. those are innocent people down there. They, they're about to strafe, so I don't have much choice. So he just uses his mace to just kill this guy. Boom. Right. And Even plus, though he's brainwashed. They're, they're subhuman because they're Japanese. Yes. Right? He didn't, didn't yes. say that, but that's what he's saying. <laughs> that's the implication. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But yeah, he murders him. And uh, then Johnny Quick, uh, he's like, how do I get up there? And Robot Man does the old fastball special. Colossus That's right. Wolverine. Totally noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> they just rip it off. But he just throws Johnny Quick and at the airplanes. And Johnny Quick lands on the airplane and starts just dismantling it in midair. Just Fast, taking it yeah. cool. with his bare hands. Because mm-hmm. I guess, you know, his hands are like, you know, screwdrivers or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Think about the plane. But here's what I like, Michael. And I remember this even uh, all these years later. I remember this scene. Robot Man finds an old cannon, like at some historical park. And, and they got cannonballs there. And uh, he just starts picking up the cannonballs, throwing them at the airplanes. Yes. I think it's awesome. But cool. al- also terribly unsafe because Robot Man, those cannonballs got to land somewhere. That's a good point. Yeah. So I, I just imagine the kids walking to school getting pummeled by cannonballs. <laughs> yeah, true. Murdered by a flying cannonball. Right. <laughs> so, so unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, unfortunate. <laughs> so then basically, so then we cut to Shining Night and uh, Danny or Danielle. Danette. Danette, Danette, right, right. And they're just talking about this, um, this uh, volcano thing. And uh, <laughs> whatever it's it is. This like, volcano thing. Yeah, this volcano thing, whatever it is. And then they, I don't know how they know the heroes are there. Uh, they were there originally, like in issue one or okay. they were originally there. Okay. So. So, they they know know. Yeah. so then they go down and then the, the first character, the first hero they find, it's funny because uh, Shining Knight is like, I recognize only the ra- the raiment, yet my fabled liege's own coat of arms was ne'er so well known. Tis the hero of heroes called Superman. So <laughs> Superman's knocked out and he thinks that if he uses his sword that he'll break yeah. the spell, right? But it doesn't work. He has magic sword from Enchanted by Merlin. It could dispel right. the magic, but nope, doesn't work. No. And then before they can do anything else, Professor Zodiac or whatever, is that his name? <laughs> yeah. So he flies in with um, Wotan. Yep. I want to say, I want to say like Wu-Tang, Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> you know, that's what I keep thinking of whenever I read it. But anyway, yeah. so then, so then they have a little fight, you know, shooting lasers and stuff, whatever. <laughs> well, he's shooting his Eldrick bolts at him and oh, uh, yeah, shot right. Giant oh. Knight's blocking it with his sword. And, and don't forget, Professor Zodiac has his universal solvent. <laughs> yes. This is very important. He's holding a test tube of universal solvent. I love it, yes. <laughs> it's very important because that plays a huge role in the end of the story. That's right, that's right. So then, so, uh, 
Yeah, Keep so uh, Shining Knight tells Danette to get running, you know. He's like, go flee. Uh, yeah. Trying to think. This isn't this one. Because I read another a previous issue. I think it was maybe, maybe it was 193 of Justice League where Solomon Grundy's beating up Green Lantern, Flash, and Wonder Woman. And like Green Lantern's like, this is no place for a woman. You need to get out of here. Right, you know? right. I re- yeah, I remember that. I don't know which one it was in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, uh, well, then, so then, so then Professor Knight or Shining Knight, uh, uh, Dr. Knight. Professor Knight, yeah, whatever, <laughs> throws his sword and it knocks the universal solvent out of Professor Zodiac's hand. And he's like, he hurt me. Well, well he, my- he threw his sword as he was getting knocked out. Like he oh, got okay. he, he got hit with oh, a bolt right. of energy, so he right. was his last breath before he falls unconscious. He throws a sword, yeah, right, and then it knocks out his his universal <laughs> solvent. Yes, and then Wotan's like, "Oh, stop whining, you dolt! It's the girl we must worry about now. Her? What harm can an unarmed female do us?" <laughs> and then and then she, it's now this is where it gets wacky. So yeah. she is running above on this like rock formation. Yep. And then <laughs> is like, fortunately for us, she has chosen to flee directly above the vats of artificial lava, <laughs> which Megaton equipped this aisle in order to dissuade. Mike Gale is loving this Roy Thomas dial. Oh, in order to dissuade the curious. It's ridiculous. Oh my god. Oh god, that is I'm gonna, I'm gonna post that on its own. Like when I post this issue, uh, I'm gonna post this below. It is so fuck fucking funny. Oh how anyway. unfortunate to be running over the artificial lava created to dissuade the curious. <laughs> Thank you for helping me out there. Oh my god, that was funny. Oh okay. Yeah, so, so then he, he hits her with one of his magic bolts and she just falls into the lava. And it's just like <laughs> Like blood, yeah. right in the lava. She dead, <laughs> or is she? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come back to that later. Yeah. Um. And then where are we here? So then, um. So then, um. Well, the volcano starts to crumble because uh, Wotan realizes, hey, Degaton, he's going to blow it up. He doesn't care about us. He's going to blow this up with us here. Right. And they, but they magically pop back out of time. They go back to their where Degaton found them. Right. Um, exactly. And then it says, uh, yeah, so they, but neither magic nor alchemy can stop the nefarious pair from vanishing into the mist of time a split second before this partly natural, partly man-altered volcano (laughs) erupts violently, thunderously. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so then he's watching his handy, Perdegaton's watching his handiwork, and then Spectre materializes, right? This giant... Now, explain God, like, for people who aren't familiar with Spectre, because uh, I was going to do his backstory, but I'm like, yeah, probably people know. But his real name is Jim Corrigan, and he's like the living ven- the living embodiment of vengeance, right? Is that what right. it is? He's like an agent of God, yes. Yeah. He's basically a God-like character, though. He has almost limitless power, right? That's what's crazy, is I think his powers changed over time, but at first he was just like a ghost, but yeah, then he became very powerful. It got to the point where he could actually wrestle planets, <laughs> yeah see that's too yeah. much I, yeah. I i would prefer him just to be like a ghost kind of thing okay. uh but so here he's actually increasing in size he's like a giant he's towering over this volcano right and that's nuts and yeah and then all of a sudden so now the the rest of the now the justice society well, are fine 
Oh, wait. Yeah, because we have to explain why the Spectre got free, Michael. Oh, that's right, because the universal solvent of the alchemist <laughs> falling right. upon me did dispel <laughs> Wotan's shackling aura, as I shall now free you. <laughs> I forgot about that. So then yep. he frees the Justice Society, and so it cuts to the next shot, and they're all standing there, ready to drop an album, right? They're all posing yeah. for the camera there. It's great. <laughs> There's Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. Yeah. Look at that. So Starman. Cool. Starman's back there. Who the hell? Like, I don't know who's. What is Starman? What's his deal? He has a gravity rod, later called a <laughs> cosmic rod. <laughs> That's also what I, I have a gravity rod. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't caught it that since my honeymoon. <laughs> and so there you go. And then there's also Sandman back there, but this Sandman has like a purple and yellow outfit. Yes. I like the Sandman with like the mask and the hat and the coat. It's technically the same guy. Yeah, just different outfit. Yes. Yeah. so cool and is there anyone else we haven't mentioned oh there's also uh next to starman that's uh oh that's dr fate with the half helmet yeah and then the blonde haired guy next to him is uh johnny thunder uh, that's right that's right and I think we, we talked about on the justice league that. issue yeah yeah so uh yeah but specter looks so cool <laughs> like you know like the white body uh the green cow and cape and underpants <laughs> and boots <laughs> Like, I, I love the Spectre, but yeah, they just made him too powerful. It's too much. I agree. I agree. Uh, all right. So Degaton, he realizes all these heroes are free. Uh, Spectre is so powerful and Superman's so powerful. They could just destroy me. I need to get out of here. So he pushes the button. He gives up his, his plan for world domination or not, or to just change the sequence of World War II. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> so, and he just goes back uh, to 1947. He just pops back into that, that laboratory where he's an assistant and the doctor's like, hey, stop mumbling. Uh, these test tubes need clean. <laughs> clean so these we, test tubes like a good fellow. We know that he doesn't now, him and the other villains do not remember any of this happening. Yeah. I, I think even some of the heroes start to forget as well. Right, right. That's what happens next. Yeah. yeah. But Professor, or what's his name? But, but Solomon <laughs> Brandy's still there. So he's fighting the Adam and yes. everyone else. And then, and Hawkman, and then, and you know, there's, there's still these goons, these hypnotized goons around, so there's all this fist fighting. But then eventually, Solomon Grundy disappears as well. Well, he, Robot Man, Robot Man and Grundy start duking it out. And right. uh, I, I love that one panel. It's a great panel uh, Buckler has of him and uh, Robot Man, Grundy and Robot Man fighting. Punching each yeah. other, yeah. It's yeah, cool. it's great. So, but then, yeah, Grundy does disappear. And just, I guess, I don't know why, but he just disappears. Uh, and yeah, he disappears and ends up on the moon. Yeah. And then apparently that's where he was in Showcase 55 when they brought him back in the Silver Age, which again, there's so much like Roy Thomas did so much retconning. I'm not sure how much of this he wrote and how much of it was actually, you know, like I wonder if they ever explained in 1965 when they first showed him on the moon, like why was he there? I have no idea, you know, so. Yeah, but he's on the moon now. Yeah. So, there you go. Yep, and, so. and even the big, uh, even the big battleship disappears. The submarine ship or whatever it disappears. So the heroes right. are just in the water then, right? And and the, and, the, and the bad guys, like the, the hypnotized guys, disappears well, but the heroes are left there. Yeah. So, uh, well, actually, in my story, uh, all the hypnotized guys drown at the bottom of the sea. Oh, okay. <laughs> and the heroes just get out of the way. Uh, and then Plastic Man it becomes like a big inner tube, uh, floaty uh, boat kind of right. thing, and they all hop in his body. Right. <laughs> they're floating around right and and the, oh the specter then just scoops him up in his hands 
and just carries them back to San Francisco and puts them on the Golden Gate Bridge. Well, that's right. nice. Very nice of them. But this is weird then, Michael. The, the book ends with uh, Eleanor Roosevelt giving them an address. <laughs> now, I right. don't understand. Why Eleanor Roosevelt? The, like they say in the book here, oh, FDR was tired. So Eleanor Roosevelt is delivering the address. Well, one thing, maybe in real history, this is what happened the day after Pearl Harbor. Maybe he was no. tired. No? no. Okay. But uh, <laughs> okay. It, just seems, it just seems strange that they wanted to get Eleanor Roosevelt involved. But she basically just says uh, he uh, FDR has created a new s- group of superheroes to protect you against the evils of Nazi Germany and Japan. And this is the All Star Squadron. Right. Awesome. And they're, they're all like, "Yay!" <laughs> Remember Pearl Harbor. Yes, that's literally the what they scream. Remember yeah. Pearl Harbor, and then uh, the little yellow box beneath that, and they will. Yep. And that's the last line. That's uh, right. Wow, I got to tell you, Michael, that was something. Sure oh, was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I said, yeah. I hadn't read it in thirty-eight years, and as a kid, I loved this stuff. Uh, reading it now, I was like, "Oh wow, man." Roy Thomas. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because I, I used to go out of my way to try and collect All-Star Squadron. And at one point, I stopped. And now I know why. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just uh, the ridiculously poor <laughs> writing. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, God bless Roy Thomas. Uh, he, wrote issue, he wrote every issue, 1 through 67, and all three annuals. He wrote right. every word of All-Star Squadron. Right, right, so, right. So there's no getting away from it. You either like this or you don't. <laughs> There's no yeah. getting away from it. Uh, the artist is Rich Buckler. Uh, we talked about him before, I think, when we did the because he did a few is- pages of that Fantastic Four issue, which right. Roy Thomas wrote as well. Uh, but he drew issues one through five, and then he did issue thirty-six. Mm. Um, but that's all he did here. But I, I love, I like Rich Buckler's work. He's a classic comic book artist. Yeah, he's fine. I, like, I think, I think Jerry Ordway's inks are what make it better. But like, see, I don't. I I'm a, I wasn't too crazy about the inking here. Um, really? Okay. I was hoping it was going to be Dick Giordano inking, and it wasn't, okay. so I was disappointed. Because um, uh, Ordway uses a lot of little lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a big... I, I'd rather have solid black. Okay, okay. Um, but it's okay. It's fine. But I like the art here, because it's, it's, like I said, classic comic book art. Uh, right, right. Not too realistic, not too cartoony. Perfect. Just perfect. So it's fine with me. The art's fine. But the writing, I can't get around it. Oh, me neither. <laughs> I just can't me get neither. around it. Holy hell. And the Shining Knight, I hate that guy. If you take the Shining Knight <laughs> out of this and you take Plastic Man out of this, I would like it a whole lot better. Mm-hmm. You know? But, uh, well, and the thing is, is, you know, even when I was a kid, just I think the appeal is obviously you've got these superheroes, but they're they're set in this World War II time period. And you know, the technology is so quaint and, you know, uh, you know, like robot man. It's like it's like 1930s futurism, like, right? Like they're trying to imagine what a robot would be like. And so it's so much more quaint than what we would think of now. And that's, I think, the reason, like this concept is great. The All-Star Squadron is a great idea, right? It's just that yeah. the actual execution is terrible, I think. <laughs> I yeah. still have a fondness for it. I, I still- of course. And I, and I love that Solomon Grundy's there, and uh, he gets to punch some people. And there were a couple good fights. So I'm going to be forgiving. I'll give it a five out of ten. Uh, yeah. Ugh. 
like I said, the actual writing is like a three, but yeah. because I love the concept so much, I could maybe give it a four. But I really like the art too. I like Buckler stuff. So, well, see, for me, I know that they're like for me, I love Jerry Ordway, so I would give those a higher rating. But this art's okay, but it's not great to me. It's just okay. All right. So overall, you're giving it a four. I'll give it a four. All right. I'll still go five. Okay. For childhood nostalgia. Sure, of course. I have nostalgia for this this era too. I never read this issue, but I read a lot of All Star Squadron. See, see, I was excited to read this. I'm like, well, maybe I'll start reading All Star Squadron. Nope. Nope. No, no, exactly. And and then I had to, I had to like s- struggle through the first three. Like I said, I was skim reading them by the <laughs> yeah. end. I just couldn't get through them. Yeah, I flipped through them too, but I didn't like read them. But, right, um, right, right. So there you go, All Star Squadron, my second and final DC book that I will ever select for this podcast. That's it. We're done. Well, I before, I before we say anything more, I just got to point out there are other comics. Set in this era by other writers like um, Jeff Johns did Justice Society, like James Robertson did a series called The Golden Age, which which is really good. Okay, but you're well, not wasn't, gonna there, be- wasn't there also something called Infinity Inc. Infinity Incorporated that was oh. written by Roy Thomas. That was uh, the Justice Society's children. Oh, okay. yeah, like starting in what was it, eighty four, eighty five. So it was like Green Lantern had Jade and Obsidian, and then Hawkman had a stepson named Northwind, I think. And <laughs> yeah, a few other ones. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Also, art by Todd McFarlane. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, maybe we'll have to do one of those one day. Not a fan of early McFarlane, so. No, it's not great. It's really amateur. Yeah, to be honest. Yeah. But here's the thing, Mike Dell. My pick for next next week. You're not going to believe what I'm picking. Okay. <laughs> Oh, Star Squadron 4. No, no. <laughs> I, but, but I just got to say, okay, remember how I said I wanted to do a tie-in with whatever movies are current? And I said, well, we can't really do Birds of Prey because there's Uh-oh. no Birds of Prey comics from the gold, from this, uh, Bronze Age, right? Okay. So I did some digging, okay? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and I'm going to do, we're going to do the Huntress's first appearance, wow. which is coincidentally... All-Star Comics, number 69, <laughs> featuring 69. the Justice Society of America. Ah, nice. All right. Yeah, so it's like a what? companion to this All-Star Squadron, right? What year is this? So this is 19, let me see here, 1977. Oh, okay. I like I, I 70s comics better. There you go. And it's written by Paul Levitz. Are you familiar with Paul Levitz? I am not. He wrote... He wrote Legion of Superheroes for years, and then I he became hate the Legion of Superheroes. There you go, perfect. <laughs> and then he became DC's like president, I think, for like twenty years. And so he oh, just no. got back into writing like five, seven years ago, and he's actually still really good. But um, he was actually the first guy to write Justice Society in like the modern era, and then Roy Thomas took over, I think. Or maybe it was Jerry. Yeah, it was either Jerry Conway or him. But anyway, so this is early Justice Society revival. So it's a perfect companion to All Star Squadron. Who draws it? It is Joe Staten. Do you know Joe Staten? Wasn't he the guy you said got in trouble? Uh, I don't think so. No, Joe Staten. Oh. He's he's still around. He um. Okay. Who uh, who was I thinking of? They got in trouble for doing. Oh, child porn. That was yeah. Gerard, Gerard Jones. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Joe Staten. <laughs> I had you confused in my mind. 
Oh. No, Joe State. I don't even know if you'd know Joe State. He did like Green Lantern. Yeah, and- we, that's how I because we mentioned him during that. Oh, that's scene right. Where, that's right. Yes. Did that's he right. draw any of those, or did he drew? Yeah, Joe Pie State. Face. He, he drew, drew Pie the face. origin of Pie Face. That's right. And, and then he also, <laughs> yeah, he did. He also drew Justice League Detroit. That whole era. All right. Well, any any guy with a history to Pie Face is all right in my book. All right. Um, I'm a big fan. So. <laughs> all right so what is, what is that all-star comic 69 yeah i'll send you the link yeah all right thank you for that L- looking yeah. forward to this though yeah so it's got a lot of our it's got a lot of our favorites in there it's got dr midnight it's got Starman. it's got our man wildcat it's gonna be great i don't know who wildcat is but i like our man there you go all right so, all right so yeah, I guess that wraps up another episode of Flea Market Fantasy. We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, Twitter, uh, <laughs> Facebook, and YouTube, all from the Comic Book Syndicate. And is that it? I think that's all we're available, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. And so, uh, yeah, this is the, your favorite comic book podcast that reviews <laughs> Bronze Age comics. It's a different comic every week, randomly. Well, not hey. randomly, but what's that? Well, Michael, uh, every week when we end these episodes, I'm always thinking you need a little catchphrase at the end. I, yeah. I've already got one ready. Oh, you do? Because yeah. I was because I was going to tell the people that Mike L appeared on the LCS Hockey Show last week okay. uh, to discuss Greece too with us. And I was thinking maybe you could take something from Greece too as your little sign-off catchphrase. Really? What's that? I don't know. I thought. Oh, okay. See, because I was just going to sign off with "Here's looking at you, pie face." <laughs> <laughs> Remember that no. was your that was your idea. Yeah, that's that's not good. Okay. We need something. Uh, can you think of anything off the top of your oh, head from Greece too? Oh, uh, I mean, you know. um, oh, what's uh. Well, just give it. Just give it some thought, maybe. But I'll give it. I'll sleep on it. But I'll tell you this: it's definitely be definitely going to be something that Johnny Nagarelli says. Okay. All right. So I got. How about this one? Disperse. Until <laughs> next week. Disperse. How's that? That's, that's pretty good. Yeah, okay. that's not bad. How about we can let our <laughs> listeners vote? Okay. Yes. There you go. Vote early. Vote often. Yeah. I'll, I'll try to come up with one or two other ones, and then we'll let them vote next week. There Sounds go. good. I like that. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So I guess that's it. Until next Tuesday and every Tuesday after that until the end of time, this has been Flea Market Fantasy. See you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.